just launching uh, Discord here to start us off tonight. They have a, a new store function for Discord. Oh, what could they yeah. possibly be selling? Well, games. They're trying to be like a Steam storefront. You know, Steam, good old games, um, Humble. They're all storefronts now. So, which I'm okay with in theory because I'll take a sale wherever I get it. But I usually stick to Steam just because I know they're not going anywhere. Like Discord could sell me a bunch of games and then disappear tomorrow. I hope they don't, but... So this is all plugged into this Discord Nitro, I guess? Is there premium Discord thing? I have not gone down that rabbit hole at all. I assume Nitro is for... I assumed, at least, that it was for people who want to, like, set up... Like, you... Because you apparently can do quite a bit with Discord other than the the low-level kind of chat and speech that we use. Uh, I think you can set up your own servers and stuff and really go deep with it. I think that's what Nitro is for. I think any schmo can use the... uh, storefront i think it's like steam i mean i'm looking at some of the games they're selling on their storefront they've got roller coaster tycoon and guacamelee and it says free with nitro oh that i haven't so. looked at so i guess maybe they're doing like a uh, subscription service okay i completely misunderstood it then they have pony island free with nitro have you played pony island i i haven't i don't is this one of those things that's stupid in a good way or is it just stupid oh <laughs> uh, I'm assuming you don't have Discord Nitro, so you're not going to play it for free. Let me see how much it costs on... I mean, oh, it's two bucks on Steam. Okay. You know what? I mean, okay. You know what? Here's what we're going to (laughs) do. Clear three or four hours at some point in the next few weeks and play Pony Island so we can have a Pony Island talk. If it's ever appeared on a Humble Bundle, it's it's possible it's one of those games I have and completely forgot I have. Pony Island. Oh... Oh, I see what's happening here. This is one of those, like, neo-retro, but in a weird, weird way kind of thing. I don't want to get, like, all Undertale fanboy on you, but I also... It looks a little Undertale. (laughs) You really have to kind of play the game without knowing what you're getting into. No, I'm... I'm, And then you'll enjoy it. You know what? You know what? Screw it. This looks like it's worth a buck (laughs) sixty-four. I'm I'm buying this. I bought it last... It was on sale, like, this time last year for two bucks, and I'm like, all right, you know what? But I had already watched somebody's YouTube video, so I knew what it was. I feel like you're not going to lead me astray. I feel like you are a more critical game consumer than I am. So if you think it's good, I will probably think it's good, unless it's like one of those niche style of games like Factorio, which you, you are crazy about, but I can't get into. The game I'm playing right now, I had to pick back up Risk of Rain because I've been watching your series on it. And uh, I, as you know, I picked it back up on the Switch and I've gotten, I today I got the the next to last achievement. I still have not drowned 20 wall, walls or sna- 20 snail creatures. And mm. that's just going to happen by accident. I'm not going to try to do that. I don't know, man. I remember that being what I had to go out of my way to do. I thought dying 50 times is something I would have to grind up, but no, that's already happened in my YouTube series. That happens super easy just because you just have so many false starts. Like, even if you're not recording it, even if you're not at that high level of play, you're going to have 50, you just get one shot, especially once you turn glass on. But so my favorite thing to do lately has been to do Enigma artifact breaking runs. And so for those who aren't familiar with Risk of Rain, there's a game modifier called Enigma, which basically lets you use any of the use items in the game. There's like a ton of different use items. It's actually not any of them, but it's it's most of them. 
And the part of the trick is instead of picking up use items, you pick up these things called small enigmas, which just lower your cooldown. And once you get to about 150 of those things, <laughs> which is where I'm sitting at right now, uh, when you hold down the use item button, you basically just use every item <laughs> all the time. And it could does some wacky stuff to the game. You should do a recording of it one time, or at least do it on a stream if you haven't. It's it's wacky shack, man. I don't think I've ever streamed an Enigma run, but I have. I kind of did one on YouTube. Well, you did the Enigma run where you you got the cooldown way down and then picked up the bugs. Yeah, I got the bugs, man. Which is great. Don't get me wrong, that's fantastic. But if you get that Enigma high enough, and that that's to be like a three hour breaking run, and you're sticking with the Enigma, at a certain point you can press the button. And the one item is called the snow globe, which makes like a little snow effect happen on the screen and your enemies like randomly freeze. Because it's cycling through all the items so quickly, the snow globe whites out the world. Like the <laughs> entire screen goes white. It is wacky shacks. And the little stopwatch thing also procs like 10 times a second. So you can combine that with the um, His Majesty glitch and literally just have a, like a hundred of those uh, monster types. This is this is really like if someone doesn't know Risk of Rain, they have no idea what I'm talking about no. right now. But it's no, it's it's pretty funny. Well, every 10 minutes, His Majesty spawns in and His Majesty is a boss called the Imp Vanguard that spawns in little imps along with him. And it's t every 10 minutes on the dot on the clock. There's a an item called the broken. Is it the broken stopwatch? I mean, I just call it the watch. I call everything by some shorthand. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, and when you use the watch, it freezes the world at whatever the timer is at for about ten seconds. And if you do that right at the dot when the portal opens and His Majesty spawns in, the game just keeps spawning him. The way I believe it works is I think that the game checks for. I think it checks for that clock ticking over when you've got that artifact. So when you stop the clock, it just keeps making that check and it keeps checking it and seeing the zeros. So then it just keeps spawning it in. <laughs> I, I think I crashed the game, the PC version at uh, 600 monsters remaining. Yeah. And then ran out of memory and the game crashed. That is the only way I've gotten the, um, the switch port to crash so far has been by doing that with his majesty. And, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, like, a king would never ride in the vanguard. The king would stay well behind the vanguard out of safety if he's even going to ride into battle at all. So I don't have any idea why we call him His Majesty. I assume that was something in-game. I don't know where His Majesty came from. I don't know. I just, <laughs> I just started calling him that, and so did everybody else. <laughs> oh, I, I honest to God, you could have told me that's what the subtext said when he comes on screen, and I would have believed you. That's I thought that's where it came from. <laughs> No, the subtext is is like invaders from the Red Plain or something. Okay, sure. <laughs> this is the rich Risk of Rain lore. It's why we play. You know, it'd be a great artifact for Risk of Rain Two. What's that? Because you figure the first level of the game, typically, no matter like whether you're opening boxes or whether you have sacrifice turned on, like you're gonna walk out of that level with say two whites and a green item. Yeah, something. So like how about that. an artifact that just lets you pick two whites and a green item to start the run with? The game is not competitive. I, the game is all about breaking it. So I think you had the right idea that there should be a a Smash Bros. style item toggle like if you just want to say look i want to do a run where i get nothing but the 
head stompers and a couple of things to make it viable, but I really just want to kill everything with head stompers, and that should be a run you should be able to put together. So, because the two kinds of breaking runs you can do in Risk of Rain, like, if you're going to focus on certain items, like, I'm only going to take these five items, you have to turn on Command. But now Command is on forever. And after two hours of going through boxes, that gets really tedious. The The other kind, if you have Command turned off, is you get every item in the game and then you start stacking every item in the game and it they all kind of end the same way they get into this everything constantly explodes everywhere state they get there the thing i do like about the randomness is with any like with any random game there's always going to be a little different flavor you know like i had this breaking run going and i went I had the game pretty broken before I ever got a single guardian heart. So even when I was like two and a half hours in, I was like, I could still get one shot, you know? (laughs) And and one of the big decision points for me is whether I want to run with sacrifice or not, because I'm a big fan of getting just a drone army and and just never touching the fire button again. I would be okay with say replacing some of the tier two and tier three drops with drones. I think like instead of when it rolls to see what tier two item you get, just put a drone down, like one of the low-tier drones instead. And then maybe like a, the laser drone or the flamethrower drone could be tier three. I'd be fine with that. Like that's just part of the sacrifice role as yeah. drones are just in the pool? Yeah, yeah just, that's, I th- that'd be great. I think that would be good. I think part of the other reason why I like rolling without sacrifice is even though it's a little tedious at first, I like scouring. I, I like having a reason to go around the level. Like, cause sometimes I feel like you just go to the teleporter and you sit on top of it. And then you go to the next teleporter and you sit on top of it. I'm exactly the opposite. I, I like not having, I've scoured all those levels so many times. Well, once I get the game good and broken, I'm not really scouring anymore. I'm just hitting things as I pass them. Also fireworks. Fireworks is definitely, yeah. But you know, that's really easy to change. Like just make command boxes set off fireworks. There you that go. would, well, but then you got to run command boxes. So, mm. but yeah, I, I'm a, I'm such a fan of the fireworks item that I like just running with it. Sometimes I'll take the use item that spawns in a box mm-hmm. just so I have fireworks to set off. I, that's another thing that's fun about the uh, the broken ass Enigma run is when you hold down that button. Another thing it does besides snowing out the world is it spawns and then unlocks chests just repeatedly. Oh my god, I didn't think of that, but you're right. That sounds amazing. Yeah, right. I gotta do this run. I gotta I, do this run. You gotta do this run. You get, I would do it on stream, because this needs to be like a four-hour run. <laughs> what you want is you want it to get to the point where when you press the, the item button, it's using multiple items in a second, so that you can pretty reliably get a stopwatch on His Majesty. And then the game just breaks in half. And what I need to do is, because I crashed the game the last time I did that, I want to take that to Providence and see how Providence behaves when you just have a stopwatch that will not let go. I imagine he just stands there and gets his full ass shot. But does it spawn into worms? Like, how does that even work? How does the game handle that if his majesty is locked in place as a dead carcass, you know? You're going to have to do science. So what I want to do is I want to get this game good and broken, like severely broken, and then uh, stream and or record because the little switch only does 30 second clips. Actually, just record what the risk of rain level looks like under those conditions. (laughs) You know what I'm worried about? What's that? I'm worried. I guess not worried. It's not the right word. But like, what, what if the Risk of Rain developers have like a Tommy Wiseau moment where they didn't intend for their game to be fun because it's super easy to break, but that's what everybody does with it. So they can roll with it. And then their sequel, they try to make it super easy to break. Is that going to be as fun if the game is designed to be broken? 
from the outset as opposed to it just being emergent like a happy accident. Here's the thing that gives me hope. Looping the game was originally not intended. I've read some developer things where they basically said they originally put in game looping for just development or it was a beta feature or something. And they briefly turned it off or something. And people were like, hey, breaking your game is really fun. And then they kind of, a light bulb went off and they're like, okay. And every update that came after it, other than one or two small tweaks for like low-end systems, because they didn't want it to just break super easy, <laughs> um, they left it broken. They left it so that it you can play it how you want to play it. But now that they know that that's what their fan base really wants... Can you purposely design a game from the outset to be loopable like this and still retain the same fun value? I think that you just keep the same balance that you have. I think you you keep it so that if you play the game, quote unquote, as intended, you're going to have a challenging six levels, more, you know, reflex based with a little bit of item luck. Whereas if you want to, you can grind out the first level. If you want to, you can loop and get insanely powerful. Yeah, I think that if you keep that kind of just general design dock in place, and from what I've seen about Risk of Rain 2, it seems like that's what they're going for, it hits that sweet spot. I think basically by having the item stack infinitely, more or less, it's going to be something you can break open. Like I said, I'm not worried. I'm just... We'll have to wait and see. I, I, it's always... Anytime a, a creator tries to replicate something that was originally an accident. So yeah, we'll wait and see. We actually discussed this earlier. Uh, we were going to talk about the Rockstar and Telltale uh, work conditions debacle that's been going on. Has it risen to debacle levels? I mean, it's a, a brouhaha. That's, that seems seasonal. I don't know. So towards the end of video game development... And lots of other industries, too. It's not just video game development. It's known very famously in video game development because, like, like other t- sorts of media creation don't go through this process. You don't hear of this happening in, say, shooting a television show or even shooting a movie, places where there are still strong unions and employee rights and things. But towards the end of development in a video game a developer will go through a crunch period where the last few weeks or months up to release, employees are literally working 80, 90, 100 hour weeks. Seven days a week with no time off. Let me stop you real quick. Because these things do happen in television and movies, but because they have a union, they get paid quite well for it. So the higher-ups are much more conscious about what kind of overtime they feel like paying. Which disincentivizes them to do it, doesn't it? Right. I mean, it's it's not to say it doesn't happen. It definitely happens, but it just happens, I would say, probably less. And if it does happen, you should get paid for it. Now, that also means you have to be working on a union project, and there's all kinds of weird rules about union and non-union shows. A lot of stuff that's made cheaply is non-union or made in Canada because they're non-union and blah, 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 blah. And we're all, we're, yeah, we are talking predominantly about U.S. employees. Like, I don't know the conditions of whatever animation sweat job is pooping out Family Guy these days, but <laughs> kind of outside the scope of the discussion. But yeah, the two companies, uh, Telltale Games, just went belly up. They're bankrupt now. And Rockstar is the exact opposite of belly up. They're making infinite money with their new game. Yeah, they're kind of two completely different problems. So the big problem with Telltale is 
their employees kind of knew something was up, but their higher-ups kept telling him, we're doing fine, we're going to make this work, we need, we'll need, we get these games out, we'll be fine. And it was less about the crunch and more about the fact that they were literally hiring people up to the week before. I saw a couple of different anecdotals you know, stories, you know, grain of salt, obviously, but I saw a couple different stories where people were like, yeah, my friend I did, or my friend did left this job, you know, this stable job to go work for Telltale. It was a dream come true. And, you know, literally got hired on Monday and laid off on Friday. People are saying it was really super gross mismanagement going on there. And I don't know all the story, all the details, but this is just what I've gleaned from reading like Kotaku and stuff. So let's get Telltale out of the way first, because Rockstar is, I think, the more interesting case here. Yeah. The Telltale thing took me completely by surprise, because I had no idea they had a reputation for being uh, like a company that had bad working conditions, which was apparently the case. I just didn't know. What I came to find out as this story unfolded is that like Telltale's reputation was all they had, really. I remember for years thinking Telltale is like this amazing company that churns out these incredibly detailed story games that sell millions. Like, I don't buy them mm-hmm. because I don't who, I don't need that many story games. Come to find out, that was everybody's view on Telltale. Everybody said, oh yeah, they're this great company. I don't buy their games, but everybody else does. I feel like at some point on a podcast or something, I did hear somebody, you know, a couple times people were basically saying how the hell do they stay in business? I think the I think the best word for them would be boutique. They're not selling million sellers. They're making these kind of boutique, almost niche games and doing them at a high level. You know, they did, I think it was around the time that they did the Back to the Future games where they actually got Christopher Lloyd, I think did some voice work for it. And they got a really good Michael J. Fox sound alike. Um, but then some several of the other original actors on there and people were like, how are they doing this? And well, how they were doing it is they were running the debt apparently <laughs> and just to side tangent just to point out like 2012 christopher lloyd doesn't sound like 1985 christopher lloyd <laughs> oh no he sounds super tired it's not i mean he he does okay on some stuff but are you specifically thinking about when we saw him at dragon con sure <laughs> Did you see it at Dragon Con, or was that someone, or did Michelle and I go to that by ourselves? Oh, no, we were there, but I, I had completely forgotten about it until you just mentioned it. But yeah, he was pretty much asleep for the panel. Oh, he sounded he sounded confused. It the man's eating, of... just put him back in his coffin and let him sleep. Yeah, it was, it was very sad. So, the way, Telltale got this reputation, because the Back to the Future games, and all that style of storytelling game, and they also made like more, I think Back to the Future was even more like a Sam and Max style inventory adventure game. Right. Their breakout hit was The Walking Dead. They got this amazing license for this incredibly hot IP, and they knocked it out of the park. Everybody loved season one of The Walking Dead. That is the one Telltale game I think I have right now, is right. The Walking Dead season one, which I never finished. I, I played The Walking Dead, and I loved it. I absolutely adored it. And I thought, because they kept acquiring these these triple A top-shelf licenses. They got Minecraft, they got Batman, they got Game of Thrones. I thought they were continuing to hit it out of the park. In reality, they weren't. And, like you said, they're just mismanaging, like, instead of designing a new game engine and a new idea, they just kept buying these big licenses and then that that was it. They just imploded. There was an RPG studio. Uh, it was I, I keep wanting to say DreamWorks, and it wasn't DreamWorks. It was uh, who did it? It was the, the the people who did um, 
they did Lunar and um, some other the big localizations. What was it? System Works. I have no idea. You're 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 veering off way into anime territory now. Anywho, <laughs> they kind of had the same thing. They would do these really just lavish localizations and put together these really nice boxes with like maps and feelies and all this kind of kind of stuff. And they, I don't, I wouldn't say they did. They they were doing bad, but they were not doing great. They apparently kind of the same thing. Just eventually, kind of crapped out. It was like a slow glide down to the ground. Yeah. The difference between what happened at Telltale and what happened at Rockstar is Rockstar's not in danger of going out of business. They've given every, as far as I can tell, they've given every indication of their next big game, GTA 6 or whatever it ends up being, they're going to continue this practice of crunching just because that's what the industry does. This, this fallout they've gotten from this game release in Red Dead Redemption 2 has not curtailed the practice at all, and it's going to just be forgotten about. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. So the cynic in me completely agrees with you. It's not going to make a difference. People are going to bitch and moan about it for a few weeks, and then the people who want to buy the game are still going to buy the game. And they're going to make more money than God, and it's not going to matter. Now, the journalist background in me wants to say that you still have to expose it and hope that every time you expose it, it's making people a little bit more aware so that maybe it'll eventually go away. And this was this was the crux of our disagreement the other day. This idea that raising awareness in and of itself is virtuous, even if it's done through the same medium that's advertising the game itself. You go to Kotaku or whatever and read an article about Rockstar treating its employees badly, and their banner ad takes you to a store selling Red Dead Redemption 2. And I think that that is, and, and it's an interesting perspective because you're an end user consumer of media and I'm someone who has a background in media. So I hear you say that and I say advertising and editorial has nothing to do with each other. And you say, I don't know that. I see it on the same page. It's like a, it's like a Kuleshov effect. It's like you made the point the other day about how the person writing the article, their job is to convey information. And in order to try to remain unbiased, their like department is supposed to be separate from the advertising and marketing mm-hmm. wing of Kotaku or whatever the website Typically is. Typically on a different floor, if you're in a multi-floor building. Like, they will not be on the same floor together. Like, there's usually very little connection. Sometimes there'll be just the tiniest bit to make sure you don't get sued. But that's about it. <laughs> okay. So... This idea of conveying information, raising awareness, putting the information out there, they have this journalistic duty. I don't disagree. What I don't like, though, is that they're conveying more information than they intend because there's the information in the article, which I'm assuming is true, and I'm glad that I understand, and I'm glad that I have the information now to work with, but they're also unintentionally saying, but none of this matters. Because we still want you to buy the game. Like, be aware of it, but we still want you to buy the game. Even though the only way you can send a message to Rockstar is to not buy the game. And that's... I don't know how to fix that. Because that is going to be a permanent issue with what I refer to as... It's not really an industry term, it kind of is, I've heard it before. What I call the enthusiast press. Which operates a little fast and loose with ethical rules because you have people who are fans of, in this case, video games, 
writing about video games, typically you only run ads about video games. It's different from something like, you know, a newspaper where you'll have a story about the president and then you'll have an advertisement about a shopping center. You know, they, they have nothing to do with each other. I was saying there's very, very rarely an instance where a advertisement and editorial have any communication. I know of an example where you may have an ad for an, an airline. And if there is, say, a major airline crash or major airline accident, all they'll say is, please don't run our ad today. Because Delta or, or, or whatever doesn't want a big picture of an airplane with their name on it next to a big picture of a smoking wreckage of airplane. Okay, but why, why can't we do that in enthusiast press? Because you're going to write an article about how Rockstar treats their employees badly, and it's well-deserved. So maybe just on that, because I've got to click to a page or tap my phone or something to get to that article. Maybe just on that article, so it's not in the same field of vision, just run an ad for a different game. There's other games that you can advertise. Okay, so I'm going to ask I'm going to ask a question and make a statement. One, okay. ideally, that would be true. If you're going to be writing a story about a game, period, whether it's the review, a preview, uh, a takedown article, ideally, you would not run that ad on that article. But that happens all the time. Because usually what happens is is they sell the banner ad, so they are the banner ad for the website. And I think part of that is just internet economy. You're not having a rotation of banner ads a lot of times on these smaller sites, which, you know, let's be honest, any enthusiast press, even the biggest ones, are relatively small sites. You know, they're not your Google homepage, they're not your CNN.com, your YouTube, you know, they are maybe a couple hundred thousand unique hits a day versus millions. So, but yeah, ideally they would not do that. Now, my question is, did you actually see that in this case? Or are you just using it for example? No, I'm just using it as a for example. I'm hoping it hasn't happened. Uh, what I have seen though are like gaming YouTube channels that one day upload a video condemning Rockstar and then the next day uploading their glowing Red Dead review. Like it, that to me, that's a, that's, it's a little different. But that's very different, though, because is it very different? Because to me, it's just a little different to me. That's well, OK, if it's the same person, are you talking about like a this is the one dude, this is his channel? Or are you talking about this is a publication that has multiple personalities? I've seen it both ways. OK, so if you've got one dude who's running a channel, I kind of don't care. You know what I mean? Like that's that's that guy. That is literal. That's basic. That's effectively a blog. It may be a very successful one, but that's not a news outlet. That is one guy doing his thing. So he has opinions, and his opinion one day maybe it's terrible that Rockstar is doing this, and his opinion the next day maybe this game is good, and then he has to rationalize that. That is on him. <laughs> I'm talking about from a journalistic perspective. If you know, let's uh, what's a site that well, Kotaku does reviews and news. If Kotaku has a takedown article about Rockstar Games, there's absolutely no way that reporter should be also doing the review. And in fact, I think Kotaku is big enough that they have a separation between news and reviews. They may have some people doing overlap, but I think that there's different. See, I would almost see it the other way. Because I don't, I, don't, I don't do game reviews on my channel. I don't cover like video game news and stuff. That's not my forte. But like if I did... Like, one thing I feel very strongly about is not purchasing games with exploitative monetization practices. I don't care how nice 
the new Assassin's Creed game looks or plays or what kind of reviews it gets, I don't like its business model. I'm not going to buy it. I draw the line there. If I did a big video about that, like, here's why I'm not, like, ten reasons I'm not buying Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and those monetization practices were one of the reasons, I would not be able to rationalize turning around the next day and putting up a glowing review of Assassin's right. Creed Odyssey. Yeah, and I mean, and, that, and that's what I'm saying. If you've got part of enthusiast press is knowing who's delivering the, the message. In general, Kotaku does pretty good news coverage. Like they, they actually do pretty good sourcing and stuff like that. I mean, it's, and I also know there are places that do pretty terrible news coverage that do exceedingly bad, you know, when, when there was a controversy going on with certain internet personalities, they were going out of their way to try to take them down without naming any particular hashtags, those kind of sites um, that try to pass themselves off as, we're a legitimate news site, whereas Kotaku tries to, at least from what I've seen, and I'm just using them as an example. Like, there's plenty of other, I mean, I read US Gamer, I was a big fan of uh, One Up back in the day, you know, those kind of things too. I remember, I think Kotaku broke the Red Dead thing. That's why I'm really talking about them more, or at least they're where I saw it. But yeah, if you, you can't, you are you. You are not a publication. You are not a, an outlet that has a news division. And and again, and that's kind of where I struggle because I'm, I know the inside baseball for a lot of this stuff from work, from having media experience. So I also understand when somebody's talking about how it looks to them as a layman. Like when you say, I see this web channel that says one thing one day and one thing the next day. And my answer to that is, well, that's on them. But see, that, I don't think that's a good enough answer. I think if you're going to be a, a term you keep using, like a, a journalistic news source with integrity, as opposed to just a dude with a blog, like you're, it's it, part of your job needs to be not just to look at the information you're printing, but also the information you're giving through other mediums on your website. The combination between what you've printed and what you're advertising is one such thing. The juxtaposition between what you upload on Tuesday and what you upload on Thursday is Well, let me another. pull back just a little bit, just from this particular issue and just kind of media in general, because as someone with the media experience, it's always been a major point of contention with me when people complain about the quote-unquote media and I kind of say the media as a whole is kind of a myth. Like you have to be specific in your criticism. You know, does that make sense? Well, it, it does. And it's also why I almost never watch the news. Because... <laughs> I mean, and, and, and there are definitely trends in the media. Like you see, for example, cable news, you know, the 24 hour news cycle has definitely has a trend, but I, I get really bent out of shape when people talk, Oh, the media. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Do you talking about CNN? Are you talking about your, are you talking about your local CBS station? Like, what are you talking about? You live in this world though. Like you're engrossed in it all the time. Most people only watch the news for maybe an hour a day. If that, Mm-hmm. And there's a million different sources, and it's all the time everywhere, and all you do is you plug in for a few minutes and absorb whatever you can get and then plug back out. Like, to someone like me, like an end user, it is just the nebulous right. and, media. And that's one of my frustrations with trying to have these conversations is trying to say, look, are you talking about news sites like Kotaku, US Gamer, IGN, etc. Or are you talking about Boogie or Jim Sterling? Or I, I don't actually watch a lot of these people because I don't like that. 
Does that make sense? I don't actually watch a lot of people who do news and reviews. So I also think this is part of the problem. People can pick and choose what news they listen to. For example, would you consider John Oliver to be a journalistic Absolutely news not. source? John Oliver is a he's a pundit not. and a comedian. I learn a lot about what's going on in the world by watching John Oliver. He's educational. He is one hundred percent educational. But he's not the news. He's not. He is more of a critic of the news than the news itself. He is reacting to the news, and you may get a lot of the stuff from him. It's the first time you've heard about it. That's one of the reasons I really like John Adler, because he looks at the stuff that a lot of the major media isn't looking at. He, it's Honestly, John Oliver is a real gray area. You know, it, it'd be easier for me to talk about The Daily Show, because The Daily Show is a more clearly defined, like, satire reaction to the news. Right. John Oliver is kind of straddling the fence between television news magazine and... He's like 60 minutes with the laugh track almost at times. <laughs> You're not wrong. I mean, he has those kind of inv- those kind of investigative case study kind of journalism things. But it, to me, John Oliver is, is the new. I, I choose to watch his show because he's entertaining and because I learn things and I become aware of things that I wasn't aware fine. of before. How, to me, that's the news. What's the difference? You tune into CNN or Fox News, you're just getting their version of the news. Their people that they've hired well, that spin it in their particular way to be entertaining to their viewers and their shareholders. Okay, What's well, the here, difference? Here's, here's a dirty secret. A lot of CNN's absolutely not news. <laughs> when CNN has an anchor sitting between four talking heads and they're arguing about something... That's just punditry. Mm -hmm. That's just showmanship. That is not the news. The only time CNN is the news is when something happens and they send a dude out with a microphone to see what the hell is going on. That's the only time I would look at Mm. CNN as news. I don't know, man. The the channel's called... It stands for Cable Network News, doesn't it? So what? KFC doesn't actually call itself Kentucky Fried Chicken anymore. They are just KFC. No, but if Gordon Ramsay told me KFC's not a real restaurant, I'd call him out for it. Because they're a business that serves food. They don't serve food up to his particular quality of, and standards, but they do. you go there and you get food. Just like I go to John Oliver and I get information. When I'm saying the news, in its purest form, it's just giving you information. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking about breaking news on CNN, fine. Your daily newspaper, great. Your nightly newscast, your local newscast is going to have a lot of that. You know, your BBC, you know, news.com. You know, a lot of that's going to be what happened. That's what I'm talking about. And John Oliver has a lot of that, but then he makes a dick joke about it. And you can totally get a lot of news from John Oliver, but you're also getting dick jokes. I live in a world where you can package the news and the dick jokes together. no, don't get me wrong. I'm happy you get the news however you get it. I think that John Oliver does a great job of story. Like, he did a 20 minutes on state's attorney generals on last Sunday. I agree with John Oliver on a lot of stuff, but it's coming at it from a very political standpoint. From a very biased angle. And with the dick jokes, too. And this is where you come to just the heart of the problem. People aren't going to tune into a news source that they aren't already inclined to want to watch. Oh, absolutely. You have to package it with something. Don Oliver packages it with dick jokes. Fox News packages it with extreme conservatism. You can't just mainline the news, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Most people can't. No. 
And that's where the the challenge between informing people and getting them to actually care kind of intersects and why newspapers are struggling. What what else do you do, though? If you're a 24-hour news channel... I wish they would do more obscure stuff. I wish that CNN, and part of it is they got to fill time, but they also, like, put it this way. I watch CNN enough just on my own and for work that I see the loop. I see when stuff starts getting repeated. And I know you do that because people probably come into it fresh every hour. People generally don't sit and watch CNN all day. People will generally watch it for a few minutes, so you want to hit them with the news give them some entertainment, and then at the top of the hour, you loop it again. That's fine. I wish they would do more enterprising things. Like, I wish they would do, like, you know, tonight on CNN, we're going to do an hour on the new president of Brazil. Tonight on CNN, we're going to do an hour on... And they do a little bit of this. Don't get me wrong. They do definitely have sort of news magazine stuff, but it tends to be more like what's-her-name is going to talk to people about deviant sex for a little bit, and then Anthony Bourdain's going to eat some weird food for a little bit. I think what you want the news in general to be, just informative, unbiased, just just mainlining the stuff, cannot be made profitable. Oh, absolutely not. C-SPAN exists, and it's super boring, but it's kind of a public service. That's the only way to make the news as you're kind of picturing it as far as i can tell is to make it a public service don't get me wrong i love npr you know which is Mm -hmm. closer to what i'm talking about i don't have a problem with john oliver and cnn and all this stuff like i love john oliver i think that it has a place in this world i just wish more people would also read their local newspaper to know what their city council's doing i'm actually mad at some of my local government for the time being not the local government we don't know who whether or not he's going to be government yet because the election hasn't happened. We voted by mail. I voted early, as I want to do. The actual election... When, what's the date of the election? Is it It's a week from sixth? Tuesday. A week from today, as, we, as we're recording, so yeah. They're running this... Uh, the Democratic nominee in Florida during this election is Andrew Gillum. And I like him a lot. Alright? I've, I've followed him in the news a little bit. Uh, I checked out his Twitter feed a little bit. I learned some... I mean, I had to vote for him. The wife told me to. She said, he's good for teachers. You're voting for him whether you like it or not. And I said, yes, dear. Will do. But his people have text messaged me three, four times a day, every day, for weeks. I don't know how many of Andrew Gillum's call centers I blocked on my phone, but clearly not enough. And they all get my name wrong. Oh. They all think my name is Matthew. Wait, what? And every single text starts the same way. It's, hi, Matthew, have you voted yet? And then it goes into detail about early voting in Florida and Where the whatnot. hell did they get Matthew from? Do you have a first name I don't know about? I No, my name is not even remotely Matthew. Not even a little bit. Have I ever told you my, uh, my voter suppression story? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The uh, 2008 election. Okay. Mm-hmm presidential election our polling place is the office in our apartment complex so we just walk two minutes to the polling place at 7 30 in the morning as soon as they open the doors i'm in my pajamas got the bed head going nice and you have to show id in florida right we have a voter we have an id law so i've got, got my id i'm half awake and she looks at the id and she looks at the book and she looks at the id and she looks at the book and she says that i'm not gonna be allowed to vote Because the signature on my ID, which I signed when I was 16 years old, 
doesn't match the signature they had in the book that I don't on the on whatever's on file at the county clerk's office that administers voter IDs. So I said, you're not going to let me vote because the signature doesn't match. That's wow. That's so these are all volunteers. When you go to a polling place to vote, like nobody really knows what's going on. It's clear they do some kind of training, but they all have their little cell phone down there. And when they hit the smallest snag in the procedure, they got to get their cell phone out and call somebody to figure it out. Right, right. So she gets the cell phone out. My wife's gone to vote at this point. <laughs> She's in the booth. So, yeah, she gets her little cell phone out. She calls somebody over. And the person she calls over is just a volunteer as well. And she doesn't know what's going on. But it's clear that, like, the woman I'm talking to is adamant. Like, she doesn't want me to cast a ballot. Because she's been told if the signatures don't match, don't let them through. Right. The other woman, the woman she called over, is like, this is not a big deal. Just let them do it. You're holding up this whole process. If you do this all day, then nobody's going to get home tonight. Right. Eventually, what happened was one of them said... You can cast a provisional ballot. Right. And that's what they're supposed to do. If there's any issues, they're supposed to say, give me a provisional ballot. Okay. I didn't know. I don't know what that is. At the time, I had no idea what that was. I'd never heard of it before. Right. So I ask, what is a provisional ballot? Here's what the woman says. The woman who doesn't want me to get through. The one who called my signature. How she explains it is, that means they only count your ballot if there's a tie or it's really close. I believe that is sort of correct yeah it's it's sort of correct but it's 7 30 in the morning when i'm half asleep and this woman's being a little snotty with me what i hear is you're not allowed to vote it, this this is a ballot we give people who really want to vote but we're not going to count it yeah the way it works when they declare a winner they're looking at the votes and going okay this person's going to win mm-hmm and I think that they do eventually go in and count literally every, they check every provisional. They don't check every provisional ballot unless it's going to be contested. Because typically right. what happens is it's evident enough who's going to win, so one person concedes. That's why I always hear about concessions. Mm-hmm. That's the person saying, you're going to win, I concede, let's get this over with. And that night, after I got home from work, and I googled provisional ballot, and I educated myself and learned that, it became more clear. But at the time, she was explaining, like, we're going to give you a fake ballot so you go away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's kind of that's kind of what it is. And that's what they've been telling people in Georgia because they we had this whole voter ID thing, too. And they've been telling people, for one thing, they were telling people incorrectly that a bunch of people were not going to be allowed to vote. And that's not true. They were told that they're – I forget exactly what the term they used was, but it was a scary term. And the idea that they can still kind of rightly call it voter suppression because it's a scary term that makes people think they can't vote when they totally can. And it is scary having been in that situation. Like, yeah, here's what happened to me, though. The, I had the two women here and I told them, so you're I'm like, I, I started arguing, like, you're telling me I'm not allowed to vote. She's like, no, sir, it's not what I'm saying. I'm, here's your fake ballot. Stop bothering me. The other <laughs> woman standing there eventually... <laughs> She's like, let me see his ID. And she looks at it and she looks at me. I had, we had just gotten new IDs. So the picture was like two days old because we moved into this place in the past year. She's like, is this your current address? And I said, yeah. She says, this is where we are right now. I said, yeah, I live in a complex. So she's like looking at my face. She can tell it's me. My address is, she knows I walked over, like just rolled out of bed, no (laughs) shoes and pajamas on. She's like, it's fine. Here's your ballot. Thanks for voting. As far as I know, she could have handed me a provisional ballot and just not told me. I guess that, that might have been what happened. <laughs> I came back and 
the guy was going to give me uh, my sticker when I went to feed my thing in. I, to- I told him to hold on. I went back over to the table to the woman who didn't want me to vote. I was like, can I get my sticker now? <laughs> I made her give me a sticker. So that's, <laughs> that's what happened when they tried to suppress Brickroad's vote. <laughs> I have a fun news story here that I came across several weeks ago. Cartographers are not pleased by a new law regulating maps of Scotland. Okay. So here's the story. Uh-huh. Uh, part of Scotland are the Shetland Islands, which are way up to the northeast off the coast of Scotland. They're these very thinly populated islands, mostly just like sheeps and small horses, I think. Mm-hmm. They're too far away to put on a conventional map. It would be like putting Hawaii on a conventional map of the U.S. Not quite that extreme, but... More similar to, like, sometimes you see a condensed map of Florida that will have, like, the keys in an inset. Right, right, right. right. The voters on the Sh- on the Shetland Islands have decided they don't like that. So they passed a law in Scotland. Now it's illegal for the Scotland government to draw a map and put the Shetland Islands in a box. They have to show... They have to show them the scale? <laughs> yes. And you can, like, scroll down I'm, in I'm looking article. at the two maps side by side where you see, like, what you usually think of Scotland, which is, you know the top of the United Kingdom with a few small islands at the top, it effectively looks like if you showed Florida with Cuba (laughs) is Mm -hmm. kind of what it looks like. Yeah, a little bit. Here's what's funny. I came across this news story because you look in the first box and here's Scotland without the Shetland Islands. Yeah. And I looked at it. I thought those were the Shetland Islands. You know what? I would have thought that. Those islands just off the north coast there? Yeah. No, it's the islands (laughs) way up there. The United Kingdom is such a weird thing. Like, I saw, I follow a Twitter account, and it's, like, called Awesome Maps or something to that effect. And it was this map that showed basically North and South America. And it had these latitude lines running off of it. And it basically said what was on the same line of latitude. For whatever reason, it's hard to kind of, if you're used to a kind of an American-centric view of the world, it's kind of hard to remember what is actually on the same latitude line as you. One thing I didn't realize is, look where the hell UK actually is. Oh, How, yeah. Yeah, it's way up there. I, I've i been to London, and I don't think I realized how high how far up in the latitudes. Like I always was like, yeah, London is cold. London's a little bit to the north. It is way up there. It is into like the butthole part of Canada. Like Yeah, it's at the same uh, latitude as Juneau, Alaska. <laughs> yes! Um, the other thing that I think is amazing is if you go all the way down to the bottom, off the coast of South America, there is a part of Chile, which is on the same land of latitude with Chile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that is all that it connects. There is nothing else there. And also, just... Just at the very, very end, there's one part that says UK at the very, very bottom because there is a tiny little island. I forget what the island's called. I looked it up at one point. The Falkland Islands. Is it the Falkland Islands? It's the Falklands, yes. Yeah, which is a territory of the UK. So then that is what is off to the coast of that part. I don't know. It's just a cool map. Um, It's a cool map. Yeah, I like uh, it. amazing maps. Uh, it's amazing map is the at sign, uh, and it's the amazing maps Twitter, and they put out a lot of really cool stuff uh, like this. Georgia and the northern part of Florida is on the same line of latitude with Morocco, which mm-hmm. for whatever reason I think of being way further south. But I don't know. Georgia is pretty temperate, <laughs> actually. 
I'll tell you what I like about this map that, that kind of blew my mind a little bit is just the spread, the north to south spread that the archipelago that is Japan actually covers is the entire western seaboard of mm-hmm. the U.S. It stretches from like Oregon all the way down into Baja, California. Yeah. When you look at a map, just like a normal sort of one of those weird to scale maps, you forget how big Japan really is. I mean, it's narrow, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's... It's a sizable country, you know? In my head, Japan is, like, the same size as Hawaii. Right, and it's absolutely <laughs> mind. not. It's, it's like, the size of, like, the western coast of the United States, basically. Like, as you gotta imagine, it's about as wide as California, I think, and goes all the way up. It, it's more closer to the size of uh, California. You know what's a missed opportunity on this map, though? What's that? I would have liked to see the color coding work so that the southern latitudes gave you an indication of distance from the equator is argentina as far south as Juneau, alaska is north clearly not but that would have been an interesting data point to have on this map oh so like it starts at like red at the center and and progresses to a gradient of blue like at the same way so that you can see the latitudes north and south because in the northern hemisphere there's a there's a pretty sizable population up in the arctic circle there's nobody in the antarctic circle except four scientists that are drilling holes in antarctica and hate life well yeah and it's it's just because antarctica is isolated if antarctica connected like significantly with south america i can imagine it would be settled <laughs> there are parts of it where people were like i mean the fact that people live in denmark is amazing to me because <laughs> it's effectively <laughs> antarctica it's, it is basically Antarctica, you're right. I like um, the part where you see, right off of Mexico City, you see U.S. Hawaii, and then you see Hawaii, and then you see this little bitty thing that says, and then, then China's over that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, China's over there somewhere. Because there is the like common meme that if you were to bore through the entire planet from anywhere in the U.S., you'd come out in China, when actually you'd come out pretty much in the Indian Ocean. Right. You'd, you'd get to a certain... Well, I mean, after the core burns you alive. If you somehow managed to get through the core, <laughs> you'd hit ocean and just drown. Yeah, the digging the hole to China thing was one of those weird, uh, weird old things. So I used to think it was Australia for a long time, and that's closer, but still not quite right. I mean, Bugs Bunny did it once, so... You yeah. know there's a grain of truth there. He he missed his turn at Albuquerque. <laughs> Let's see. I have I'm definitely following this Twitter. Oh, it's like, a great I Twitter. Like cool maps. Wait a second. States in which bestiality is legal. Hawaii. <laughs> see, I don't need that chart. <laughs> New Mexico, Wyoming, Kentucky, West Virginia. Is the Shetland Islands on there? <laughs> or are they in a little box? I mean, I am of Scottish heritage and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> L- loving your sheep, really loving your sheep. It's it's a cultural thing. <laughs>